Hello, I'm Yolanda Brown and welcome to LPO Offstage. This is the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with the musicians of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Today, we're uncovering the world of Beethoven's symphonies. He wrote nine of them and they are staples of the orchestral repertoire. But what do our players enjoy about playing Beethoven and what challenges are there in his music? We're joined today by principal trumpet Paul Beniston, violinist Tanya Mazzetti and clarinetist Tom Watmo. It's lovely to have you with us, Paul, and welcome back, Tanya and Tom. Hi, Yolanda. Hello. Hi. Hi. Now tell me, when was the first time you ever heard or played a Beethoven symphony? Well, I can't exactly recall the first time I heard a Beethoven symphony, but I certainly remember the first time I played once, which was actually my first concert in a in a big orchestra um, and professional orchestra uh, with Mazel conducting. I was very young and I, I was 21, I think, wow. and it was Beethoven 7. And I had no idea of Beethoven 7. And I was in the middle of it and I could barely play a note because it was so overwhelming, <laughs> the whole of it, the greatness of it. It was... Uh, an incredible experience and since then I played them many times but the feeling hasn't really changed over the years. And Tom tell me about your introduction and what's one of the highlights of playing uh, Beethoven symphonies? My introduction to Beethoven symphonies I think is through my father who'd he'd have the radio on and we as boys would have to be in silence it was very difficult and so I think I must have started by not really liking them because it was but by about the age of 11 and 12, when I started the clarinet, I realised I really did love them. And I used to go to the library in Oxford and I'd get out the scores. And it wasn't a terribly big house, so the only place I could get any peace was in the bathroom. And I used to play them on my little mono cassette player and play along. And it must have sounded God awful, it really must have done. And it would be interrupted by one of my brothers needing the loo. And uh, so then... (laughs) That was, that's my introduction to Beethoven symphonies for you. <laughs> I love that. I've got a really good depiction of that in my mind now. But actually, just thinking of a young boy having sort of the, the recordings there, but wanting to be a part of it and wanting to play along. Yeah. Were you sort of inspired or told by a teacher to do so? Or was it something that you just had to do? You wanted to be I, a part of it? I think it was because I'd heard them so many times. They were, they were in my blood from very young because mm. of my dad and then at some point I realised how much I loved them and I've yes. never stopped stopped that feeling for them. It's lovely to hear that this relationship with Beethoven Symphony started from an early age and to think how many times you would have played it since, especially to, to you, Paul. Are there any highlights or things that you love when you see that repertoire come up uh, within the year? Depending on, on which symphony, the early symphonies of pretty much like Haydn or Mozart where the trumpets work very closely with the timpani you sometimes refer to it as the trumpet section I love that um, the, the t- two main roles are sort of rhythmic sort of almost like punctuation marks adding sort of energy and drive and then there's the harmonic function as well which is reinforcing the harmony that's going on and adding colour only occasionally is, is there any thematic interest and it tends to be sort of like a, an arpeggio a little fanfare almost like a military call. Certainly Beethoven's first symphonies like that, and, and the second. By, by the third symphony, he starts trusting us with little snippets of melody. Aha. A bar or two here, here and there. But by, for example, the fifth symphony, the opening of the last movement, the trumpets are sort of leading the line there. 
and uh, in the last minute of the choral symphony, the the Ode to Joy, we take mm. a, a prominent role in, in actually sort of melodic playing. So th- they become more interesting the later on that we go, more challenging to play. If we see the first symphony on the schedule, it, it's a, a very pleasant but quite easygoing item. By the time you get the seventh symphony or the ninth symphony, you really know you've you, you've done you some get your work. work cut out. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, for, for a couple of those pieces, are probably the earliest pieces in the repertoire, which we would use what we call a bumper, which is an assistant player to sort of take some of the load off. Ah. So it, it starts to feel, and the fifth symphony as well, of course, it, it starts to feel like proper symphonic or well, symphony orchestra rather than yes. chamber orchestra. That makes sense to me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom, is there a particular one that crops up more than the others? And do you have a favourite? I think seven probably crops up in my career has been the one that's cropped up the most. Seven is a mm. favourite. The one that I think means so much to me as a clarinetist foremost is six because there is just so much in it. There are so many different things that are asked of the player to be bit of a singer in the in the slow movement the scene next to the brook and and then the clarinets are used like little organs and also in the third movement there's a, this very rapid um, arpeggio going down which sounds like a should to my ear sound like a shower of glitter there's a cuckoo there's a horn call that starts the last movement which actually is given to the clarinet before the before the horn takes it over and uh, and tanya is there a particular symphony that you just sort of get those chills back when you see it on the repertoire i would say i played them all quite a lot and uh, normally the one i'm really happy to play is the one i haven't played in a while because mm. there are some of them that are more played so for example i played so much third that at some point, although it's such an amazing piece, I couldn't take any more heroism uh, in mm-hmm. my life. Uh, so uh, I was really happy to go to four or six or two or eight. Like the even numbers are generally less played than the, um, the odd numbers. Well, with the exception of six, that is, of course, very known and played. Oh, gosh, a full blanket sweep there. So really, we need to perform these in their entirety to uh, make everybody happy, which I guess just shows why he needed nine in the first place, which is great. Um, Paul, I want to speak more about the trumpet. How does Beethoven write for your instrument? You've taken us through a journey there in terms of it being a little bit more sparse in the early numbers and, you know, then becoming a bit more intricate towards the end. Is it because of the instrument that he wants to use or the the tones that he wants to use why do you think he plays with the trumpets in that way the trumpets in beethoven's time was uh, didn't have any valves it was just basically a length yes. of tubing and if it is in the key of c it would be eight feet long and if it's in d it's a bit shorter and if it's in b flat a bit longer um so if you like i could demonstrate what that sounds like i would like that very much yes please so can you describe what you're playing to us? And is it called a trumpet still? Yeah, it's, we, we call it a natural trumpet. So okay. it's, uh, it's eight feet of tubing, but it's uh, it goes out and back and back again. So it's, like it's, a paper it's cold twice. Yes. And so there's no, no valves, nothing mechanical. I, I could just as easily demonstrate this on a hose pipe, which I sometimes oh, I do. See. But uh, <laughs> And so, so the, the sounds, because it's a longer length of tubing, the sound's rather richer more complex than the modern trumpet, which which I'll demonstrate in a moment. Okay. Uh. 
So I think Lovely that's sound. ten notes. They're the only ten notes that Beethoven could use for the trumpet. Aha. Um, which accounts for the, the, as I was saying a bit earlier about uh, the classical repertoires, often based on tonic and dominant and a few notes in between. So that sort of thing. Yes, um, yeah, the fanfare kind yeah, of sound. And when we go higher, the, the notes get a bit closer together, which uh, causes a, a few problems sometimes. It's very easy to aim for one note and get another. Well, I, I should I should describe this to to the listener. Obviously, all of that is being made with you changing your your mouth That's it, to get the notes. Then there, there's no way for you to to get the notes any other way. Yeah, so um, it, wow. it gets a bit hazardous. It, it certainly when we play the symphonies on old instruments, yes, which we're quite often asked to do, it makes things a lot more interesting for us, a lot more challenging, and mm. uh, we we hope that it's interesting for the right reasons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But it also causes a few problems with intonation. I mean, it, it, it's not so obvious when I play on my own. Yeah. But in the orchestra, for example, if I'm... That, that note's rather flat, and the, the one after it is very, very sharp. Uh, <laughs> I can hear that one. Yes, yes. <laughs> And we can adjust it. We have to adjust it as best we can. Beethoven, early on, he, he might use that note two or three times. Sometimes, I think the sixth symphony, he doesn't use it at all. But by the ninth symphony, it's absolutely littered with them. So it, it, he probably realised that it wasn't going to be long before a chromatic, you know, mm. a, a trumpet with proper intonation was just around the corner. So he maybe yes. was writing it for the future. For those later symphonies, do you play your trumpet with the valves then? Well, it's basically on conductor's request. It's not our Aha. decision. In fact, when I when I was growing up, I don't think I ever saw uh, natural trumpets played yeah. in a symphony orchestra. Although that was when the sort of early music movement was starting, so the bark and handle and so on. And the mm. first time we were asked to use these was I don't know twenty five years ago. Sir Charles McCarris was was. Um, the earliest person that uh, made the request, and then right. people like Sir, Sir Roger Norrington, Sir Mark Elder, um, Vladimir is is keen to use them, and so yeah. now is Ed Gardner and Robin Tigiati. If I play a couple of my favourite trumpet moments, yes, please. Uh, I'm going to do one on the the uh, natural trumpet, which is the opening of the last movement of the fifth symphony. Okay. And in fact, w within the space of a few bars, you can hear how it uses the melodic possibility and then a few bars where it's just rhythm and then a couple more bars where it's uh, mainly to do with the harmony. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. And I'll just play a bit of Beethoven 9, the Ode to Joy, on a modern trumpet. So, just so I'm clear, that beautiful melody at the top there, in Beethoven's time, that would have been played on the natural trumpet. It would, yes. Yeah. Wow. Very fascinating. Uh, Tanya, when these 
symphonies are performed, what's the audience response like? Because you're, you're closest to the audience within the orchestra. What do you see within the audience when they're hearing melodies that they know very, very well? I always have this feeling that Beethoven is, speaks to everyone because in his own way, whatever theme or emotion he is expressing is he does it in a quite extreme way. So joy becomes the world joy and hero is the, the biggest, the powerful hero. And when, when he talks nature, it's so vivid. Even when he talks love, it becomes very tender. So yeah, I think the audience feels that. Uh, and for me, it's, it's quite amazing because Beethoven as a person is quite a strong personality and strong character. He is very personal. And at the same time, he is universal. And that's for me his strength. Mm. Yeah, particularly with the ninth, the big messages in the ninth, mm. the idea that mankind is, is improving and, and people are joining together more, you know. Those big ideas do get you sometimes, and actually on, on the stage it can happen. I remember doing it with Mazur a few times before I was a member of the orchestra and, and seeing the tears roll down his face. That was very affecting. He's somebody who really understood the big message in, within it, and he, he conveyed it, I, I think. Music does have the power to move in that way. I guess that connection with knowing the composer's journey it would be within the music, wouldn't it? It would be within his writing. Is there an advantage of knowing a bit more about the man, about Beethoven, before hearing his symphonies? Does it help you to hear it a different way? You know, we are talking about all nine symphonies here, and it's, it definitely is a journey, a journey through his music writing, but also through his life. It doesn't always correspond to his uh, for example, he wrote the second symphony, which is quite a virtuosic and uplifting and happy piece. And he writes it when his deafness starts to kick in. In the same time, he was writing his Heiligenstadt Testament. So it's quite a dark moment and a sad moment of his life. However, he writes this completely sparkling and bubbly symphony. Of course, it helps, but uh, my mum is a literature teacher and she always says life and art are uh, very connected, but two different things. And sometimes you just look for something else in your art that is not your life. So, Well, that's a, a lovely point there, because art can be and sometimes is escapism, isn't it? So this might have been either his happy place or the place that he went to to get away from what life was dealing him at the time. Absolutely. And when you think his word was completely silent and he still manages to write works like the seven, eight or nine symphony, there's something so great and positive and hopeful about the world mm. in his silent world. I want to speak to you, Tom, a little bit about the fourth symphony, because I know that you performed this for Marquee TV. So this was in lockdown for the cameras and then later on sort of filtering out into the world. This is uh, November 2020. How do you prepare and what is it like playing a solo line that is so part of? Oh, well, it does have two absolutely beautiful moments in the uh, slow movement. They're real gifts as solos. And there's something quite interesting in it with the relationship with, with the conductor in it. There's a, a way you can turn the corner in the solo just to take a little time. 
for the harmony to change and so on and, and it's absolutely beautiful and if you've got the kind of you've, you've sussed it out in the first rehearsal with the conductor is he going to allow me or she allow me to express this little moment take that time or are they going to yes. control it say no this isn't going in and you suss it out straight away and then you see if you yeah. can push it a little but I think it sounds wonderful with this this just tiny extra bit of time just just for this phrase to uh, to be rounded off beautifully you've played that many times so you know what's coming is there a sort of nervousness or an apprehension that comes with how is the conductor going to play this I know it but now I have to follow someone what if it doesn't naturally go with what you felt how easy is that to navigate with a solo so like that you have to put your foot down in some ways and say this is my solo or that they can contradict you and say no don't take that time there but you you can't go into it with, with too much a feeling of um being underneath the conductor no this is your moment to shine so how do you think Beethoven writes for the strings Tanya one very interesting thing for me joining the LPO was that before that I always played in the first violin section and then I joined the second violin section of the LPO and one of the most interesting composers in this sense is Beethoven because the middle parts are so full of life and of interesting Mm. Things. Plus, you really need to practice them specifically. So you really have the feeling you are contributing to the energy and, and you can push a bit mm. and you can move things from, from within, from inside. But also there are other lines like counter secondary lines that are very interesting. So for me, it was a, a new discovery, a new journey through his symphonies since I joined the orchestra. For me, the challenge of playing his music is combining this huge energy and mighty feeling of, you know, sometimes hitting and uh, stamping your feet, uh, your foot. And and in the same time, the writing is quite classical. Uh, so it has to be the articulation and the phrasing and the sound needs to be modeled. And the combination of the two is, for me, the challenge. And Paul, we've spoken quite a lot about the themes that go through these nine symphonies. How much do these themes filter into your playing and your thinking while you're in performance mode? Or are you thinking just about the music? I think probably the honest answer is when I'm playing, I'm concentrating a bit more on the performance, you know, from the personal point of view. But I think if I'm listening, let's face it, when we're playing the trumpet, we spend a lot of time listening when we're not playing I think it captures my imagination more in that in that situation can I ask that to you as well Tom how much are you thinking about you know the unity the hope the freedom especially sort of in the ninth symphony there does that come into play or is it about the notes and the conductor in the moment I'd like to add something to what Paul was saying about the moments when you're listening those are the best for me there's some moments that take my breath away that I, I'm not involved in, and I'm, I'm glad that I can just sit back. One of them is in the Third Symphony, the slow moment, when the um, funeral melody is kind of un- interrupted, and 
And then there's just a very quiet pianissimo, perhaps. I think it's an A-flat, Tanya will tell me. And it's just very quiet. And then the basses come chugging in. And there's just this moment, and I'll, I'll sit there and I'll perform it. And I'll be in heaven, yes. Those moments. I have quite a funny story about that funeral march. I performed it on a tour in Japan about 15 years ago. It was the main symphony we played in one of these amazing Japan halls. And so we start all wooden, of course, and we start the funeral march. And a little bit into it, this, the stage starts to shake and the baffles and there was an earthquake. So it, it was an Italian <laughs> orchestra and I mean we are meant to be supposed to be and I, I think it's a little bit true quite superstitious so having a earthquake in the funeral march was quite a thing that uh, now it's, it's I think I think about when we start the funeral march no one flinched <laughs> apart from us on stage the audience was perfectly nerves of steel I tell you. <laughs> not a breath but we were we didn't know if we should get out or you know keep playing so there was very this uncertainty, which is a little bit in the music as well, but yeah. Um, let's talk conductors a little bit then. I'm intrigued to know, with pieces that are known so well, how is it playing under different conductors? For example, Vladimir Yurovsky, what's his approach to Beethoven? You've worked with him for, for many years. How does he approach these pieces? Going back to the natural trumpets, he asked for the natural trumpets to be used for that. And, and those are the ones that hit the F. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, In fact, he's uh, it's, it's yes. getting a little bit technical now, but we, we, <laughs> we had two bumpers, so the first and second trumpet both had assistance. It took me a long time, but I managed to work out a way that we could avoid playing those Fs by the bumper, the, the assistant player, actually having a trumpet in a different key. So it's pitched in yes. D, so I'd be playing a, it would be an F on a D trumpet. But he had a, a, a C trumpet, which uh, yep, I'm following is slightly you. longer. So he was playing a G, which is a really good note. So oh, it, it was a bit, of a bit of a patchwork jigsaw going on. But uh, And did that come as a suggestion from you? Was that worked out by you or was that a directive from Blaine? No, that, that was my idea, yeah. It, because the, the alternative was unthinkable, really. <laughs> That is very clever. I uh, I hope that the uh, some listeners would would understand that. But I really like that thinking. Some people say, myself included, that during lockdown there was almost a wave of emotions. You know, the calm that comes with we're staying home, we're at home. This is this is our new normal. To anxiety, to fear, to hope, then to calmness again, and it kind of it went in waves as as different stages were announced. And during lockdown, the LPO performed concerts on Marquee TV. And during that, you performed Beethoven's first, fourth, fifth, seventh and eighth symphonies. Uh, do you think that was almost following some of the emotions that we may have been feeling along the way? Our main feeling when we actually got back to perform was, I, I don't think we've ever been so happy to be together and perform. So that was the main mainstream feeling. But there was definitely a wave. And for me, the first lockdown, which was the longest for me, and I was I went back to my country and I definitely had so many waves and a very funny relationship with uh, my instrument and the practice. And strange yes. enough, the only two composers I could face to 
practice and play were Bach and Beethoven Violin Concerto. Sorry to go slightly off topic from the symphonies. That's okay. But in, in that piece, the violin part is... It's flying, it's like an angel voice flying above and, and it somehow felt like I could rise above it all and find a different hope for a different world to come. That's really powerful. And I know the audiences, myself included, watched the Marquee TV performances and felt that, you know, being able to escape into music and feel the freedom of music was was so powerful. Um, so it's nice to hear it from from the other side of the fence, so to speak. Tom, can you ever... Or can one ever really know a Beethoven symphony or are you always discovering new things throughout the years when you when you play the repertoire? Yeah, I, I see new things in it occasionally. I said, oh, yes. Uh, one thing that only occurred to me very late, well, it's in the sixth again, is there's a little flash of lightning in the distance. I think it's a G major triad in the fiddles. And I'd, I'd never seen that for what it must be it's after the storm has gone away and just in the distance there's this little tiny flash of light and things like that when I notice something like that oh yeah that's wonderful or a new (laughs) conductor will bring some some way of doing it we've heard some of the challenges that Paul has said about you know the the trumpets and the ranges and trying to get the notes in tune and and be (laughs) reachable are there any challenges that you find in the clarinet part Tom uh, throughout these symphonies that you know, every time it comes out, we think, oh, yep, we've got to push for that. There are a few challenges. I don't want to get too technical. One of them is, uh, is partial to, for clarinet to play tunes in B-flat major, which is A-flat uh, a major. It's not a very friendly key for the clarinet. It's not a nice clarinet. key, no. <laughs> One of the challenges is, is in the fifth. There are just eight notes that when they're coming up and I'm playing the first part, they really give me the willies, I must say. And they're all the same note. I don't know if it'll come out. Yeah. Oh, there's instruments all over this podcast. That's all it is. Let me do it one more time. I think you guys know where it is. So what is it about it? It it can come out like this. It's very easy. It goes like this. (laughs) One of them will stick out. It'll be just where you don't want it. So, yeah, that one scares me a bit. (laughs) (laughs) you go head on every time (laughs) thank you for sharing that (laughs) and and how about in the strings for you tanya any challenges that stick i will not demonstrate for you i say this immediately (laughs) in case you're expecting me to i have no violin here in this room (laughs) um yeah some of some of the movements are really fiddly personally i always slightly worried about the last movement of Beethoven 8, second violin part, because it's very, very quick and it goes on forever mm. with the same sextuplet, very quick sextuplet, so you can get your arm really tired. And when we performed it with Sir Mark Elder on, uh, for the concert on Marquee TV, it really took a, a fast tempo uh, and, yeah, it was quite... Um, but it's fun as well. It's part of the game. And I think, yeah, uh, there's something about Beethoven writing because he's not the person you would think as the best melodist or the best harmonist or the best orchestrator. So the, the things in itself 
it's it's just the combination and there's some kind of necessity in this music like one thing needs to follow the other that mm. makes it completely extraordinary for me well thank you for for sharing that because it's, it's not always easy to say you know this is the challenge this is what i face every time we're wishing you on every time you play it i know it will it will go perfectly fine <laughs> okay so i'm gonna sort of almost put you on a desert island with one symphony only one if you could only play one symphony for the rest of time with the orchestra of course, i'd be really sad <laughs> I know, I'm going to twist your arm, Tanya, I tell you. If you could only have one, I mean, are you going for the more mellow? Are you going for the pomp and circumstance? What, what would you say, Paul, if you could only choose one? Probably nine, I think, just because it's it's got a bit of everything. Great um, choice. It, yeah, five, maybe. I mean, that's so, so uplifting. Mm-hmm. Seven's good as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I've only eight. given you yeah. one, Paul. <laughs> I'm going to give you nine. Do you want a natural trumpet or a valve trumpet? Uh, I think for that one, comfort zone. I, I think uh, You're going to take the valve. trumpet, yeah. I got you. All right, I'll let you have that. Tanya, what symphony would you be the, taking? This is a real question I cannot answer. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I just don't know. Uh, it would be... Okay, what's your top two? Have you got a top two? I would say seven... But then probably mm. after a while, I wouldn't like it. I, I would really be dying to, <laughs> to play something else. And I would say four. And then I would die to play something a little bit more energetic. And then so, no, yes. I can't. I think I'd, I, 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 okay. quit, I quit on the desert island. <laughs> yeah, just... I'll let you take seven and four for a little bit of uh, freedom there. And Tom, how about you? Well, first I'd have to get over the horror of being <laughs> stuck on a desert island with the orchestra. Just with and how the orchestra. long it turns into before it turns into the Lord of the Flies, you know. <laughs> but... It's all a family here. It is. <laughs> um, three, I'd say three, three. Aha! Uh -huh. Well, look no. at that. We've nearly got nearly a third. Well, we have got a third of it, haven't we? We've got three, we've got nine and seven. And Paul with nine. So you're covered. Paul with nine, you have to have the choir as well on the island. There you've got more people now <laughs> as well. You've got more people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, honestly, thank you all so much for sharing and, and some of those memories as well. I'll be feeling earthquakes and looking out for bumper trumpets as I listen uh, in the future. But thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Paul Beniston, Tanya Mazzetti and Tom Watmo for talking all things Beethoven and his nine symphonies. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod. Thank you for listening. Join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage, where we'll be hearing about life-changing musical experiences. See you next time.